0: The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show, everyone. My name is Sabrina Calazans, and I'm the managing director here at the Student Debt Crisis Center. This is the SDCC takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Now, I hope everyone is staying nice and warm. It's been very cold across the country um, because today we have a lot to discuss. We're gonna be talking about the complex return to repayment for borrowers. We're going to talk about an important upcoming deadline and we're going to cover some questions that we've been getting from folks. Today, I'm joined by the SDCC president and founder, Natalia Abrams. Natalia, how's it going?
1: Hey, Sabrina. Um, you know, it's going. I am currently still recovering from COVID. So you all, COVID is still very much a thing. Stay safe out there and keep masked up. Um, <laughs> and, you know, dealing with return to repayment. We're talking to so many borrowers that are really struggling and confused. So that's why we're here today to try to help you untangle stuff and, you know, give you some resources of what to do when you do get into trouble.
0: Well, I appreciate you being here and pushing through and always helping out um, borrowers whenever you can. So that's I'm really grateful for that. Um, And later today, we're going to be joined by a special guest. So stay tuned. At Student Debt Crisis Center, we believe that by centering the needs and voices of borrowers and partnering with allies, we're going to impact public policy and end the student debt crisis. That is our goal. And if you want to learn more about our work and you want to read through some borrower stories, you can visit our website at studentdebtcrisis.org, or you can find us at Facebook, X, and Instagram at at debtcrisisorg. All right, so let's jump right in. Um, as I mentioned, it's been a complex return to repayment for so many folks. It's been about five months, I think, Natalia, which is wild. I feel like it just happened, but time has been flying. How would you describe these past five months for borrowers? Uh,
1: well, to quote you, Sabrina, what a mess! Something. If yeah. you don't know Sabrina, she says often working in this space, <laughs> um, and we, you know, have been getting various reports from the Department of Education and from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And I believe it was a couple months ago, the Department of Education told us that roughly forty percent of The 22 million borrowers who had bills due in October did not make payments by mid-November. So to simplify that, you know, 40 percent, we believe that number is slightly higher, um, are not making payments. And, you know, we're still trying to untangle the why. So actually, if you follow us or one of our supporters, stay tuned. We will be running a survey coming up in February to Get our own data as to why people are making payments. But I know that you know some people still don't even know that payments are turned on. So just your friendly or unfriendly reminder that October 1st payments for student loans began after being off for three and a half years. Um, that means that you know if you have student loans, you would have had a payment due. But <clears throat> Excuse me, there are still some, you know, things, there's still time, you're, you haven't screwed yourself up too much if you haven't made a payment because there is this uh, program called the on ramp, which allows you, you'll still accrue interest, unfortunately, but they're not going to send you to collections and you're not going to get dinged or put into default the way you were previously.
0: We have been hearing from folks, there have been multiple reasons as to why folks haven't been you know, paying back their loans, but we know that a lot of folks just cannot afford it. And so the on-ramp is an option for folks, um, but we're hoping to learn more, as you said, from uh, conducting our survey. So we'll definitely be in touch with borrowers and making sure that their voices are being heard and shared. Um, and we also know that the Department of Education has actually been ramping up their efforts to help and protect borrowers by going after student loan servicers. I know that one of the most um, hated servicers out there, I, I guess I'll say, is Mohila. There have been a lot of um, complaints about Mohila. You know, there's been so many things about Mohila. But recently, we've heard other news that the department is also going after other servicers. So within these five months, the department is taking action, such as withholding millions of dollars um, in funding for these servicers. They've been instructing them to place borrowers into an administrative forbearance if they are one of the borrowers impacted by servicing issues so whenever the servicer makes an error uh, associated to your account you'll be placed into this administrative forbearance and servicers are now uh, reprocessing applications and taking a look at borrowers accounts to make borrowers whole again Um, and for folks who don't know Natalia can you explain what an administrative forbearance is
1: uh, sure. So this is something that you do not request. It is, you know, we have heard, I know Sabrina, yourself, you went through this yourself, people that applied, let's say in August, you were checking all the boxes, doing everything right because you knew payments were coming on. Well, the department um, and your loan servicer got overloaded with so many requests. And so because of that, they're not processing your paperwork in a speedy time or the time that they should be doing it. So what they'll do is they'll put you into this administrative forbearance for about two months and that will allow them time to properly process your application. This is involuntary. This is different than the forbearance you would request for people that have been borrowing for a long time. They may remember requesting a short-term forbearance. Um, And during this time, because it's to no fault of your own, you'll still receive credit towards public service loan forgiveness or income-driven repayment um, on this administrative forbearance. But it it speaks to some of these servicing errors. It speaks to these people that aren't in active repayment yet as well, because again we're still trying to untangle that did they do it right or were people just ignoring that payments came on um i will say sabrina i want to go back to you know the actions taken by the department of ed on like mohia or Mm -hmm. nelnet for example that while we are encouraged to see the department taking some action it's still i don't know how you feel but the penalty just doesn't match the crime like for nelnet we have heard so many complaints you know uh Sabrina, Ashley, if you remember from our last radio show, she calls it HellNet. It's a horrible servicer to deal with. People are on hold for 45 minutes or more, not just with HellNet, but with their loan servicers. And they were, they're withholding a $13,000 payment. That's it. So, yes, it's millions for some servicers, but it's not enough. And we still need to see more action on these loan servicers. It always drives me nuts because our tax dollars, people need to remember this, we are already paying for a broken student debt system and our tax dollars pay for these loan servicers, they're federal contractors, and they're not providing a service, they're just making more headache and more service, to use the Yiddish word, for borrowers. So, you know, I encourage folks, we have a petition out right now Specifically on that, that we want the penalty to match the crime and that we need to really figure out a better system. Well, I have an idea. Why don't we just cancel the debt? But we need to figure out (laughs) a better system to really penalize these servicers um, with the way they're treating borrowers.
0: Definitely. I mean, so many borrowers have been reaching out to us, and it was echoed their same sentiments in the CFPB report that came out recently, talking about long wait times, borrowers waiting, you know more than an hour to be in contact with someone. Their servicer, it's their job to be able to answer borrower questions. It's their job to be able to help them and to service them. And yet borrowers are having to go out of their way, reaching out multiple times and still not being able to contact someone. That is extremely frustrating. We've seen applications for Save the Safe plan, which we're gonna talk about later, is a good plan. It is something that can help lower folks monthly payments. It can help in other ways. However, we've seen more than 450,000 of these applications pending. It's taking a really long time for these applications to be processed. And we've also heard of billing statements being incorrect. We personally have worked with a borrower who should have had a $0 payment. She received a bill for $300. It's just wrong what's happening for borrowers. And as you said, it, Natalia, student debt cancellation by canceling this debt, getting borrowers out of the system, it's the best way that we can move forward and actually you know, see changes happening, see things actually um, going well in this system. It has definitely been a chaotic five months, to say the least. Um, yeah, and I w-
1: was just thinking that, I forget the number of people that have signed up for the A program. I think it's something like six or eight million, but seven almost
0: million, yeah. half a
1: million then were delayed. So you know this again speaks to and we saw this on our survey that we did at the end of last year that you know the top line we had from that was borrowers were doing everything they could to get ready for repayment but on the other side the department and your loan servicer especially was not and so so many borrowers were left in this limbo or what they call administrative forbearance and you know not getting things applied and you shouldn't have to know Sabrina or I or any of these great organizations working on student debt to have some peace of mind. It should just be there for you. And, you know, it's just drives me crazy. <laughs> but yeah. I know we'll cover a lot me more too. of this in the upcoming segment.
0: Yeah, we have a lot more to cover. If you've been impacted by student loans or, you know, you're one of these borrowers who has tried to reach your service or is struggling, we're going to be bringing someone on and we're going to talk about what you can do. So make sure that you stick with us. We're going to be joined by our special guest right after this break. This is the SDCC takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Marshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets.
1: Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm Natalia Abrams and joined today by Student Debt Crisis Center's Sabrina Calazans. And we this is the Leslie Marshall uh, Takeover Show or Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. And we have been discussing recent developments in the student debt space. And before we continue the conversation, I'd like to introduce today's special guest and a very good friend of mine, Lindsay Clark, the chief borrower advocate and director of external affairs at Savvy. That's quite a title. Welcome, Lindsay. (laughs) Thank
2: you so much for having me, guys. Excited to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on because we, on most of our shows, we talk about all of the problems um, and try to provide solutions. But I know you work for an excellent company that we have partnered with on many different workshops and projects at Savvy. Can you tell us a little bit about what Savvy is and what you do there?
2: Yeah, so Savvy is a social impact technology startup. We're based in Washington, DC. Uh, and we are founded by student loan uh, experts uh, and former advocates who've been fighting on behalf of borrowers for more than a decade. Um, And essentially, they realized that the experience of being a student loan borrower is broken. And so they developed a technology platform to help borrowers like you all and like myself. I'm a student loan borrower. Uh, I have a little over $200,000 in student loan debt. So if that makes any of you out there feel better about your own situations, then mission accomplished right off the bat. Uh, But to help borrowers like us not only better understand our student loans, but to navigate successfully from start to finish around some of these really complicated federal programs like income-driven repayment or public service loan forgiveness that had a really low acceptance rate. Uh, So we use technology to help borrowers uh, digitize things, pre-fill them where they can, uh, and then work with them one-on-one to really be their advocate uh, and support system throughout that process and ensure they reach... Uh, The best outcome possible. Uh, So that's essentially what Savvy does. And uh, at Savvy, I oversee uh, all of our uh, consumer education and workshops, uh, sort of how we communicate with uh, our users and borrowers around student debt. It's a really tricky topic. Uh, And so, you know, the best. Uh, finding it the best ways to sort of communicate around uh, some of these complicated programs, uh, something that I focus on, uh, and then the the constantly shifting policy landscape. Uh, and so I think that's why we're here today is to sort of talk about some of those things as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: you know, I I guess behind your back call you the student loan whisperer. You definitely know so much about it and just have so much compassion and, you know, maybe that's also having $200,000 yourself, you're a borrower yourself, you know that struggle. Um, So I guess I just want to start with, that. we were talking before the break about, you know, these servicing errors and you talk to borrowers every day. What are kind of the top lines that you're seeing in terms of problems? And let's start with the problems and then we'll talk
2: solutions after. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're seeing a few. Uh, I would say first we're seeing incorrect bill amounts. Uh, So borrowers are receiving a a billing statement from their servicer and the amount that is owed is incorrect. Uh, I had a borrower that was billed for $700 when they were supposed to qualify for a $50 a month uh, income driven repayment plan. Uh, And they get this bill and think this must be what I owe and what I need to pay. Uh, And it's only later on that they find out that the servicer was actually incorrect. Um, And that's something that's very surprising to, I think, a lot of student loan borrowers. It's unlike any other sort of financial uh, aspect out there, right? You know, you don't think that your credit card company is going to send you a monthly bill for the wrong amount. And yet with your student loan bill, right, this is something that can happen more often than not, as we're seeing. Uh, So the incorrect bill amounts was, was a big one, again, especially because borrowers were returning to repayment for the first time in three plus years. So many people forgot what they had been paying before, so they had no point of reference, so it caused a lot of issues uh, for borrowers. The other thing was that uh, some of these billing statements never even came, or they were really late. You know, Payments were supposed to resume for all borrowers starting in October, uh, and some borrowers never got that statement telling them what they owed, um, or if they did get it, it was well into October, uh, so they had no idea what that first payment was going to look like. Uh, Another big one has been processing delays, uh, specifically on applications like an income-driven repayment plan, more specifically the new SAVE plan. So borrowers who were trying to enroll in this new SAVE plan to try and lower that monthly payment as much as possible, we were seeing processing delays of their applications from the servicer's side by over a month. Normally that process, I would say, takes about two to three weeks once that's submitted to a servicer, they review it and then get back to that borrower. Uh, and usually the turnaround is quick enough so that the next month, they're able to start making a payment on that new plan. We were now seeing delays uh, so prolonged uh, that obviously the Department of Education noticed uh, and these servicers were having to implement administrative forbearances. So essentially putting borrowers on a payment pause while they process their applications And again, we're seeing those applications take two plus months uh, to process. So borrowers aren't able to uh, get on those plans and start making those payments. Uh, And then again, that last sort of thing I I would say is the wait times when borrowers try to call their servicer. So let's say you do run into one of those problems that I mentioned uh, just now, and you try to call your servicer to figure out what's going on or what to do. You can't get in touch with them. Uh, The wait times are three, four, five plus hours on hold. Uh, And even then, sometimes it's just an automated system and you're never able to talk to someone. Uh, And so borrowers really um, are at a loss of what to do uh, and how to handle some of these issues. So it's been really difficult for people to navigate on their own.
1: Yeah, three to four hours. You know, the report says 45 minutes, but let's remind folks that's an average (laughs) of what folks are dealing with. And, you know, we've heard that too, people that... I mean, even folks on our own team are showing up to meetings and then also on hold with Mohia or their loan servicer and, you know, have to hop off the moment they get on because they it's the one time in four hours they've been able to contact a person. Um, what's the average wait time for Savvy? Just
2: to show you, show off a little. It is two seconds, I believe. Uh, that was our latest. So, uh, yes, we definitely know that's a huge pain point for borrowers, you know, being able to call a number. Uh, and speak with someone that they trust and can get accurate information, Uh, but to be able to do that within two seconds is unheard of. So that's something we definitely pride ourselves on. So we, we have a little bit of time,
1: but, and we'll get into this more after the break, but, you know, what can borrowers do if they encounter these servicing errors?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, servicers are supposed to be taking steps to correct these issues. You know, this is per guidance from the Department of Education. Again, what they've started doing is as soon as a borrower submits an income-driven repayment plan application, um, what we're seeing now is those borrowers are just automatically being put onto an administrative forbearance, which basically is buying, you know, enough time for that servicer uh, to fully process those applications, given the delays. So I would say most borrowers should expect to potentially encounter some type of administrative forbearance when they're uh, applying for uh, a program like an income-driven repayment plan. Uh, Now, if it's taking longer than that, I would say taking longer than two months uh, before that administrative forbearance ends, right, and before you uh, receive notice that you're enrolled on this new plan, your new payment amount, et cetera, what we found uh, to be helpful Um, is submitting a complaint to the CFPB. This is sort of the highest level of escalation that a student loan borrower can take. And
1: let's talk about that more after the break and give folks exactly where to go. Thank you so much. I'm Natalia Abrams, and this is the Leslie Marshall Takeover.
0: Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Sabrina Calazans and I'm joined by Natalia Abrams and Lindsay Clark today. Now, before the break, we were discussing recent servicing errors and what borrowers can do to take action. So let's jump right back into that, Lindsay. You were talking about how folks can submit a complaint. Um, How would you encourage folks to go about doing so?
2: Yeah, so this is basically, you know, the highest form of escalation that a borrower has at their disposal. Um, The CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, helps resolve issues with your student loan servicer. So you can actually submit a complaint to the CFPB at their website. I believe it is consumerfinance.gov forward slash complaint. Um, They accept complaints online uh, as well as over the phone and by mail. Uh, And it's a pretty sort of clear process once you get to that website. Uh, There's sort of a, uh, you can start a new complaint, Uh, you know, you can create an account, basically a portal uh, through which you're going to track that complaint. You'll be able to describe what's going on, add any supporting documentation, uh, and then submit that right to the CFPB. Uh, usually they'll review that and your servicer is required to respond within 15 uh, business days. Uh, So it's one way that we've seen, and and we've done done this with several borrowers thus far, uh, to effectively trigger some type of either response from a servicer uh, or action uh, on an application. So borrowers always have that at their disposal, regardless of what the issue may be. Uh, If you you feel that you cannot get a resolution with your servicer otherwise, this is going to be your best bet. And we've
1: also been sending folks, uh, sorry to cut you off, Sabrina, but to the Department of Ed to to complain. Do you feel that that's useful as well, Lindsay?
2: Yes, I think definitely submitting a complaint through the federal ombudsman uh, is also an effective way. Um, You know, I see many borrowers do both. (laughs) Um, But uh, we've definitely seen that the CFPB has been, uh, you know, an, an organization that is, Uh, keenly aware of the servicer issues and is primed to sort of help take action and and hold them accountable. Um, And they have a a big infrastructure behind them to help process these. So I would say either one, you know, you uh, are going to be in good hands. um, And a lot of borrowers end up doing both.
0: All right, I'm going to ask a few questions if that's okay. Um, Some of the most frequently asked questions from borrowers. Um, The first one being, I submitted a safe application, but it's been taking way too long, more than months. What do you encourage someone to do if they're in that position?
2: Yeah, so I you mean, know, the first step, and they're gonna ask you this if you submit a complaint either through the ombudsman or the CFPB is, did you attempt to contact your servicer? Now, we just talked before the break about how difficult it's been for borrowers to get in touch with their servicer because of the wait times, but it's still worth attempting. Um, and trying to get through to someone on the phone to see where your application stands. Uh, If you're not able to do that though, um, then submitting a complaint either through the CFPB uh, or the federal ombudsman at studentaid.gov is gonna be your best bet.
0: And how can someone lower their monthly payment? I know we've been talking a lot about IDR, so any, any thoughts there?
2: Yeah, I mean, income driven repayment plans, uh, especially for those with a really high debt to income ratio like myself, uh, can help to lower that payment, that monthly payment significantly. Uh, and obviously, this new save plan is uh, the most affordable of all of those uh, income driven repayment plans. However, not everyone qualifies, unfortunately. Parent plus loan borrowers uh, you know, were excluded uh, from being eligible for that save plan. Uh, there are other types of repayment plans out there, uh, known as the standard plans, uh, and those base your monthly payment on your debt amount instead of your income. Uh, and so for borrowers who have a relatively low amount of student loan debt, um, you know, they may be under $10,000, um, you know, maybe even under $20,000, um, depending upon the amount Their monthly payment on a standard plan where that amount is based on their debt and not their income may be lower. So it's worth checking out all of your options, right? Those that are on that standard plan, you know, where it's basing it on the debt amount and those that are on that income driven repayment plan. The good news is you can change your repayment plan at any point in time. Uh, And especially with an income driven repayment plan, you can resubmit that application at any point in time throughout the year. Uh, to have that monthly payment recalculated if your income should change. Uh, So you can always take advantage of any decrease in your income. Should you become unemployed, you could uh, resubmit that application and become eligible for as low as a $0 monthly payment. Uh, So that's the best way to sort of, uh, you know, lower that monthly payment. And just a point of clarification, Lindsay, you
1: mentioned, um, you know, borrowers with high debt to income, but also we've found like low income borrowers are also very, for the most part, benefiting from the SAVE program as well.
2: Yeah, I believe uh, any, bar- any borrower who uh, is making uh, under $35,000 a year or around there uh, is going to qualify for a $0 monthly payment. Uh, and that is for a single borrower with no dependents. Um, sure. And a family so- of four is at 60, I think, so around there. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, it is absolutely for for lower income borrowers. It is hugely beneficial. Uh, and for borrowers, again, with a, a you know high debt to income ratio, uh, it is hugely beneficial as well.
0: I know that in our last show in December or November, I don't remember when it was. I believe it was December. Um, We talked about a deadline, an upcoming deadline for consolidation. And at that point, the deadline had not been extended. So it was the December 31st deadline. However, since then it has been extended until April 30th of this year. Can you talk a little bit about the extension for consolidation, what that means and what it is for?
2: Sure, so the extension of this deadline uh, from December 31st of 2023 to what is now April 30th of this year, 2024, uh, was part of uh, what the Department of Education is going to be implementing uh, called the one-time account adjustments. And this is basically a means of uh, rectifying previous uh, mishandling and, and uh, errors uh, around student loan payments and student loan debt. Uh, so it's a way for the Department of Education to essentially uh, you know, retroactively Um, make an effort to give borrowers uh, credit uh, for periods of time during which they may not have been making a payment. Uh, So this is going to happen across the board to all borrowers that have eligible loan types, and I'll get to that in a second. And what's going to happen is that they are essentially going to be given credit for periods of time that they may have been in a prolonged forbearance or deferment, uh, and that's going to count towards any potential uh, forgiveness that could be uh, achieved under an income-driven repayment plan or public service loan forgiveness. I believe the Department of Education estimates that it's going to give borrowers an average of about three years uh, more as far as, uh, you know, period of time in repayment towards that forgiveness. Uh, Now, the uh, only way to qualify for this one-time account adjustment is you must have the right loan type you must have a federally held student loan, meaning it's owned by the Department of Education. So that's going to include all direct loans uh, and federally held FEL loans. Now there's a type of loan, it's an older type of loan, Uh, it's a federal loan, but it's commercially held. These are commercially held FEL loans, F-F-E-L. This also includes Perkins loans and HEAL loans. If you have this loan type, in order to qualify and receive this one-time account adjustment, you must consolidate those loans into a direct consolidation loan by April 30th of this year. If you do not, you will not be able to qualify for this account adjustment, and you will not receive those additional credits. So it's really a make-or-break situation, especially because most of the borrowers with those older loans, those commercially held fell loans, Uh, because of the age of the loan, they would likely be pretty close to forgiveness uh, come this account adjustment, right? So it's really in their interest to make sure that they consolidate before that deadline so they can qualify and receive this adjustment. And one last thing I'll note is that it is automatic. So there's no application here uh, for borrowers with a qualifying loan type. Uh, Once your loans have been consolidated, if necessary, uh, then uh, the Department of Education will apply this account adjustment automatically Uh, and it's supposed to happen by July 1st of this year.
0: Awesome.
2: Yeah, I did speak. Oh, go
0: ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to clarify
2: that
1: other than these folks with older loans who need to consolidate into the direct loan program, then there's nothing else folks need to do. Um, And so this is especially for folks with older loans. You know, we think that we've been told like the youngest person, I think was 40 or 41, um, that this is for you. We hear from so many borrowers that still have loans from the 80s and, you know, this is something that is really wonderful and you don't have to take any action besides consolidation. And then I know Sabrina, you're probably going to talk about the things you're going to have to take action because there are more updates we're going to cover on the other side of the break.
0: Yes, there are definitely lots more to talk about, so definitely stick with us. Um, yeah, I've just been hearing from a lot of folks who have recently benefited from this, and it's really exciting. So again, stick with us. We're going to continue talking about this and some new student debt cancellation news coming up soon. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com.
1: To the Leslie Marshall Show, I'm Natalia Abrams with the Student Debt Crisis Center, joined today by with uh, Sabrina Calizans and our special guest, Lindsey Clark. Um, at SDCC, we believe that by centering the needs and voices of borrowers and partnering with our allies, like folks at Savvy and Lindsay, that we will impact public policy and in the student debt crisis. If you want to learn more about the work that we do at Student Debt Crisis Center or read through borrower stories, highly recommend. You can visit our website at studentdebtcrisis.org or find us on social media, all channels on Facebook X and Instagram at debt Org. Uh, so now we're going to shift gears and talk about a recent announcement this happened last friday for a new bucket of borrowers um, these are folks with specifically low balance or low original balance borrowers lindsay would you like to share with us the uh, the announcement that we received
2: on friday Sure. So uh, on Friday, the Biden-Harris administration announced that starting next month in February, uh, it will start providing forgiveness after as few as 10 years of payments for borrowers who are enrolled on the SAVE plan, uh, who originally took out $12,000 or less for college. Uh, So borrowers enrolled in SAVE who are eligible for early forgiveness Uh, will have their debts canceled immediately, starting next month in February, uh, with no action uh, on their part. Now, the administration is accelerating this benefit uh, months ahead of the date that was previously laid out uh, when the the administration first announced their implementation of the SAVE plan. So originally, this uh, this cancellation was supposed to start uh, July 1 of this year, 2024. They've accelerated that up to start in February. So I can break down sort of the the eligibility requirements here a little bit more uh, to give you a sense of of exactly who would qualify here. So first and foremost, the borrower has to be enrolled in the SAVE plan. That's the newest income-driven repayment plan. Uh, They had to have made at least 10 years of monthly payments and originally taken out $12,000 or less for undergraduate or graduate Uh, post-secondary studies. Okay. Uh, So that's $12,000 on their original loan balance. uh, And that is uh, total loan debt. Okay. So I know many borrowers have uh, several different student loans. It's not based on each individual loan. It's based on your total uh, uh, original student loan debt balance. Now, for every $1,000 uh, that is borrowed above $12,000, okay, a borrower can receive forgiveness after an additional year of payments. So you know, $13,000, right? 1000 above $12,000, uh, that would be now 11 years in which they can receive forgiveness. Uh, and so that means a borrower who you know, originally borrowed less than $21,000, that's sort of the, the cap here, the max, will be eligible for forgiveness faster than the 20-year timeline uh, that normally occurs uh, under uh, the SAVE plan. Uh, So, again, this is the original principal balance of all the federal loans that a a student borrowed, uh, and uh, this is going into effect starting next month. So, now, let's say I'm one of those, or I think I'm one of those people,
1: um, and I go to studentaid.gov, how do I know what my original loan balance is. How do I figure that out? Because I know we've heard from so many borrowers, especially if it's been 10, 20, 30 plus years, they might not remember that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And especially if their balance has increased uh, over those years, right? They uh, they absolutely won't remember what it originally was. Uh, So by going to studentaid.gov and logging in with their FSA ID uh, into their account, Uh, And that account will hold an official record of any and all federal student debt that they have borrowed. Uh, And from that dashboard, they should be able to look into loan details and through each loan or under each loan, uh, it should say the original amount borrowed. Uh, And so that's where they're gonna be able to see uh, what that amount was. Now, again, it's important to note that it's the total uh, of all uh, the student loans that you have, not based on each individual loan. So, if you have, you know, five different loans that are each five thousand dollars, you will not qualify uh, for that for the program. Oh, I'm sorry for the for the early cancellation. That is, and just a reminder: un- unlike the income-driven
1: repayment one-time account adjustment, which is completely automatic. This is automatic if you are enrolled in the Save Program, but you have
2: to take that step to enroll in the Save Program. Correct. yeah. And the Department of Education, uh, when they made this announcement on Friday, you know, also noted that they were going to begin, you know, an outreach campaign uh, to borrowers who would, you know, potentially be eligible for this but had not yet enrolled in the Save Plan. So, you know, we're looking to see, you know, how that outreach plan. Uh, you know, is going and, and I think it's underway as we speak. Um, but, uh, you know, that's something that the, bar- the department is, pl- is planning on doing to help encourage any borrower that could take advantage of this to make sure that they're going to enroll in that SAVE plan uh, in order to do so.
0: I think so, one we, of the. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, one of the questions that we get the most from folks is the difference between SAVE and IDR. I think some folks don't understand. Um, how they fit in with one another. So can you just explain how SAVE fits into IDR?
2: Sure. So IDR stands for income-driven repayment, and that is sort of the umbrella term for what are several different types of income-driven repayment plans. So you've got income-driven repayment is sort of the main, you know, header title uh, term for the uh, various uh, income-driven repayment plans, um, But you know, sort of below that. Uh, which include the new SAVE plan, uh, you know, which stands for saving on a valuable education. Uh, That was, you know, formerly uh, the repay plan, uh, revised pay as you earn. Uh, There's the pay, uh, income-driven repayment plan, so that's pay as you earn. Uh, Then there's income-based repayment, IBR, and income-contingent repayment, ICR. So basically four types of income-driven repayment plans, or IDR. Uh, So SAVE is a type of IDR, uh, if that makes it clearer.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And going back to
1: this um, low original balance, you know, the cost of college is astronomical. I'm sure some folks are rolling their eyes that 12,000 seems like a very small amount. We would agree, we would like to see all of it canceled, but who stands to benefit from this new
2: announcement on Friday? Yeah, well, particularly borrowers who attended community colleges. Um, these students typically borrowers borrow smaller amounts. Uh, so I think the department estimates that the save plan will make 85% of future community college borrowers debt-free within 10 years. So that's pretty incredible. Um, and it will also really benefit borrowers who are more likely to struggle in repaying their loans uh, because most borrowers in default actually borrowed. Under twelve thousand dollars, I think the average balance of a borrower in default is less than ten thousand uh, dollars. So this is really going to benefit those uh, who, again, you know, maybe went into default, were really struggling to repay those loans, uh, and uh, community college borrowers as well. Uh, Yeah, and uh, folks, you know,
1: some of the folks we've talked to that did, you know, some college took a few classes and life took them in a different direction. And it's a lot of what you're talking about with those defaulted borrowers that, you know, now they're underwater for a $5,000 loan bill. They can see light at the end of the tunnel. Um, We don't have much time left. So I do want to go through some of, you know, the other things that borrowers can do on default. If a borrower was in default, say prior to the pandemic, is there any hope for them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Now is the time to get out of default uh, if you uh, are in default, uh, because there was a program that the Biden administration announced uh, about a year ago called Fresh Start. Uh, And essentially, it gave any borrower in default the opportunity to go right back into good standing without having to go through the normal uh, lengthy rehabilitation process uh, in order to get those loans uh, back up and running. Uh, So this Fresh Start program is currently available. And if you are a borrower in default, uh, what you need to do is you need to sort of verbally opt in to this program by calling the collection agency that has or owns your student loan debt right now, uh, calling them, basically saying, I I want to enroll in Fresh Start. Uh, The process takes about a month to initiate and complete, uh, upon which your loan is back in good standing. Uh, And you are eligible to enroll in income-driven repayment plans, qualify for new financial aid and student loans, qualify for programs like public service loan forgiveness. So everything becomes open to you once again, and those loans go back into good standing, all as a result of picking up that phone uh, and calling uh, that collection agency. Uh, So you do need to opt in verbally, and the only way to do it is to call. Uh, But like I said, it takes about a month, and your loans are back in good standing. Great. Thank you, Lindsay, and thank you so much for joining us. You know, one
1: last thing I'll add is that if you, as we said at the top of the hour, if you didn't make a payment yet, there is this on-ramp that goes for 12 months until October of this year, you will not, you know, go into collections. So, We are here to help. You can reach us at studentdebtcrisis.org. We can send you links to sign up for Savvy. Really great to have you here, Lindsay. As always, Sabrina, I'm Natalia Abrams, and this is the Leslie Marshall Takeover Show, and we'll see you next month.